Hey, what's up? Glad y'all are here tonight. Um, glad you were able to come hang out. Some of you took, uh, took me seriously when I said, hey, bring a friend with you. Like, man, come make this a time where we um, enjoy each other's friendship, where we, we hang out. I think that's the coolest thing. Honestly, like, that, that is one of the most exciting things to me is when um, I see you bring other people to church. It's not about me. It's not about this place. Like, my, my heart for each of you is that um, just your entire life, I don't care what church it is, but that you would just be a part of a church, that you'd be a part um, of the body of Christ, that you would find community and fellowship in that. And so it is super encouraging to me. Uh, it's, it's exciting to me when, when I see um, some of you that get that, that you understand that. You're like, man, that you understand that this is important and you understand the role that it, that it has in your heart and in your life. And then you bring other people into it. I think that's the coolest thing. Um, I kind of skipped a part. My name's Caleb, and I'm a student pastor here. So if you are new, welcome. If you're not new, you're still welcome. I'm glad you're here. How was the milkshake? Let me know about that. How was the milkshake? Good, bad? Okay, wow. So all four of you that tried it, uh, great. Thank you for your feedback. That was the most helpful thing all day. Um, Man, it's a good day today. Good day for two reasons. One, it's September 9th, 2018. You know what that means? What'd you say? National Grandparents Day also? No, none of those reasons. One, because it is simply, as God's word said, a day that the Lord has made. That is September 9, 2018. You are able to live it. Other generations will never be able to live it. You hopefully made the most of this day. Tomorrow, if you didn't, it's September 10, 2018. Also, other generations won't be able to live it either. So make the most of it. Good day. Second reason it's a good day is um, we're kicking off a new series tonight called the called the harbor called um, Exodus. Kind of to the point. Uh, if you've grown up in church or you kind of know about church, then you will know that Exodus is the second book of the Bible. But before I do, I, I just gotta. It's on my mind because it's in my pocket. Um, I encourage you. This is a time where you put your phone on vibrate, put it on silent, get it uh, away from you. Um, don't let it be a distraction to you. That I love calling grandmas and, and laughing and, and jokes, but when we come to God's word, like I take it really seriously um, because I believe it offers a lot for us. And so I just encourage you that you would do the same, that you would take it seriously and say, hey, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe that Jesus came to save you or not, that you would give this opportunity, just say, hey, God, prove it. Hey, prove that, that you're a real speak to me in this time. I'll, I'll give you a moment if you're there. Let, let me hear it. And if you believe in Jesus, then you should know, hey, this is a time that, man, we're gonna hear from God's word, so we should definitely take it seriously. <clears throat> but this book um, of Exodus, is, it's a really cool story. It's a really cool story that, that shouldn't, what you need to understand is it, it happened a long time ago. And so I think often, especially if you were raised in a church, how many of you were raised in church? You've always gone to church your whole life. Great. And you probably saw Exodus or stories from Exodus in cartoon vision, like some Sunday school teacher drew it out and same like the flood, like the little giraffe sticking his head out and smiling, right? Like it's all these like little beautiful things. But what I love about youth group is I get to spend a moment with you and just bring it to reality. Like really what the heck was happening in this time? That, that really happened. 
And what I love about Exodus is that it's the story that happened a long time ago, but it's not meant to be read that way. It's not meant to be seen as some far off distant story read by itself. But what I hope you'll come to find over the few weeks that we're in this book is that this story is in fact our story. See, this story of Exodus was about people who God chose and said, man, I want you to be an example of my grace and of my power and of my peace and of my provision to the rest of the world. The problem was, is that all the people in Israel that were a part of the Exodus just rebelled against God all the time. Like they sinned against him. They didn't listen. They were disobedient. God called them to do one thing and they did another. They, God called them to trust and they doubted. Like constantly rebelling against God. And here's the coolest part. God never gave up on them. He never quit on them. That their story is in fact our story. That their story is our story, that God has chosen us, that God has, has, has put his hand on us, that God loves you and is calling you, and, and that God has a plan for you. Uh, some of you may, and this may be the first time you're hearing that ever. God has a plan for your life individually. I'm not saying it as a group. Hey, guys, everyone, God has his plan. It's great. No, like you individually, you need to understand, has a plan for you. He says, man, I know your first name, your last name, your middle name, your social security number. That means nothing to me because I'm God, but I know it. And I have a plan for your life. And that plan is good. Even when it doesn't make sense sometimes. I want you to hear that. God's plan, he has it for you and it's good even when it doesn't make sense sometimes. That's the story of Exodus. That's our story. And what you're gonna see in this book is that more than any other Old Testament book, it talks a lot about God's role in our life and our role in God's story. God's role in our life and our role in God's story. You didn't know you had a role in God's story, did you? You do. You have a big role in God's story. And so we're going to dive into this because I, I don't want you to get like, man, these are going to talk about this boring theological arguments. No, we're not. Like, I want you to, to understand that the truths that are revealed about God in here are still applicable today. They still apply to you today because it's the same God that some of you have trusted with your life. And the same God that some of you are being invited to trust, but you may be not listening yet. It's huge. But I want to give you a little backstory on it real quick. Because Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It's not meant to be read just by itself. It's not, not meant to be like, hey, you take this one book out and you understand everything about God. Really, it's meant to be read. It's, it's one of five books that should be read together. And so the first five books of the Bible are kind of like one solid story. You want to go home, your parents, and like, you want to impress your parents when you go home. And they're like, hey, what did you learn? You want to tell them something like theological and, and smart. Tell them, we learned about the Pentateuch. They can be like, what? Like, you know, it's the first five books of the Bible, right? And, and you'll be like, they, they will, their mind will be blown. They'll be impressed with me, most importantly. And then you also, maybe. So, so the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible, Exodus is number two in that. Are any of you Star Wars fans? Anybody? You like that? Nerds. Okay, great. All right, so... <clears throat> So Star Wars, if you like Star Wars, what you understand is that you can't just go dive into the second movie and think you're going to get everything. Like, you're going to be super confused. And so Exodus is just like that. It's one of five. And so to understand, you really got to read all five. So as we dive into Exodus, to get there, I'm going to just give you a little backstory on, on movie number one, which is Genesis. 
And some of you think you know, but let me break it down for you really easy. Another way to really impress your friends is Genesis broken down into uh, eight parts. Four people, or four events, and then four people. And the four events was God created the earth, the, the, there was a fall, then a flood, then the Tower of Babel. Boom, 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 God's at work. And then the four people start with Abraham, who then had a son named Isaac, who then had a son named Jacob, who then had a son named Joseph. And so when God approached Abraham, he said, hey, again, this is that first part of the, the five-part movie here. He says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to call you out. Your people are going to spread throughout the entire earth. He says, I'm going to bless everyone through your descendants. Newsflash, like spoiler alert, Jesus then comes from Abraham. And so we are direct spiritual descendants from the work that God did through Abraham. That he, he, he said, I'm going to bless the entire earth. Well, then he had Isaac, who had Jacob, who had Joseph. And, and what happened was Joseph got sold into slavery by his brothers. Kind of messed up. But he went into slavery, ended up in Egypt for doing nothing wrong. And then he began to, to continue to follow the Lord and be um, right before the Lord. And the God, God said, man, I'm going to honor you. Brought him up to the second highest position in all of Egypt. The only person higher than him was the king. A huge famine happened and, and Joseph was able to foresee it because God gave him the knowledge. He said, hey, bro, like we got to prepare for this. And because they were able to prepare, he said, bring your whole family into Egypt. Let me take care of them. So Joseph's whole family comes to Egypt. Meanwhile, Jacob's name has been changed to Israel. So Jacob is no longer being called Israel, they're calling him, or Jacob, they're calling him Israel now. And Israel has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. If you like history, you're going to love this. That the country of Israel came from this event right here that I'm telling you about. So all of Israel and the people that were in Jacob's family are now the Israelites, and they leave, live in Egypt. And so you pick up in, in Exodus 1, verses 1, touch screen, oh, got it. Okay, it's not a touch screen, it's just a TV. All right, Exodus 1, 1 through 8, here's what it says. It says, these, some of you, if you opened your Bibles, which you all brought, um, just joking, you didn't bring them, but you should. Uh, if you open your Bibles, you would see the word and on some of your translations, when you get home and you say, man, I don't need to read somewhere in the Bible. I'm gonna read in Exodus. Caleb talked about it. Let's just go. You may see the word and right here. What it is is a continuation from what God was doing through Abraham's descendants as he brought them into Exodus. So he says, these are the names of the sons of Israel, right? That's Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, that's my son's name. Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. So Joseph, already there, obviously his brothers sold him into slavery, had grace and mercy on his brothers, brought them all in. These are the family members of Joseph, or of Jacob, who's now Israel. So what happens then is they begin to multiply and they begin to um, have a lot of kids. Go on to the next slide. 
They begin to have a lot of kids and, and, and there's like 400 years over this time. And so it says in time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. So Joseph, the 12 tribe leaders, everyone's dead. Stick with me, it's gonna get more interesting, I promise. So they all die, but their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph. Remember, Joseph's the one that saved all of Egypt and all of Israel. He knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. And so they're at this place where Israel is multiplying. If you looked in Genesis 1, like the end of Genesis 1, God said, man, I'm gonna make man. He made man. He's like, this is great. Now be fruitful and multiply. And so it says, man, they're filling God's commission at the time to fill the land and multiply. And then if you go to like Genesis 13, he told Abraham, hey, my, your descendants are gonna fill the land. They're gonna be multiplying. And so what's happening is God's promises are, are being fulfilled. The problem is they're in a place that they don't know anything about God or about what Joseph had done. And so this new king was there. He begins to feel very threatened by all of these Israelites. He begins to look around and say, man, if they revolt, like they could kill us. If they revolt, they could take over all of Egypt. So what he does is he puts them in slavery. He begins to work them really hard. He begins to make them responsible for building all their buildings, uh, tending to their crops, just begins to be really, really tough on them. <clears throat> he begins to um, really be threatened by what was going on there. In verse 12, it says, but the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians came. I want you to hear that. The more they oppressed, the more they multiplied. The more they made it impossible for God's promise to come true, the more God's promise came true in their life. Don't you hear that? That God has a promise for your life and a plan for your life. And some of you are at a point in your life or will be at a point in your life. Some of you are like, this doesn't apply to me right now. But I promise it will apply to you. That you will be at a point in your life where you feel like it doesn't matter what God promised or what he has planned for you. It will never happen because of the obstacles in your way. And what this is saying is that God's plans are bigger and more powerful than any oppression that is put on you. That if God has a plan for you and you know God's plan for you, he says, man, faithfully pursue that because even in the midst of hard things, his plan will prevail because he is more powerful. The more the Egyptians oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied. The more the Egyptians says, your God is worthless. God said, no, I'm more powerful. And then for the next chapter, what happens is he begins to be so rough with the Israelites. He tells the people that helped the ladies birth the babies. He says, anytime they birth a son, kill it. Well, they were like, not about that. Because that's messed up. So he says, here's what we're gonna do. Anytime we see a baby boy that's an Israelite, we're throwing it into the Nile River. And so they were literally throwing babies into the river to keep the Israelites from multiplying. Like if you think the Bible is boring, 
you ain't reading it. Like, that's insane. That's real. What ends up happening is this lady has a baby named Moses. Some of you know the story named Moses. And instead of literally throwing it into the river, she makes a basket like a lot of the ladies were doing. She makes a basket. She kind of floats it down the river, hides it in the reeds. And what do you know? Pharaoh's daughter comes out, sees the baby and says, ooh, I like babies because I'm a woman. That's cute. Let me take it in. If I'm lying, I'm dying, right? And so they grab the baby. She takes it to her daddy, the king, Pharaoh, and says, hey, can we keep it? What dudes you need to know about ladies and their fathers, what ladies want, the fathers agree to. It's insane. I don't understand the dynamic, but that's what happens. And so now this guy's oppressing the Israelites so much. This is kind of so ironic, oppressing them so much. Now an Israelite is a part of his family. And he was like, I hate him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Now an Israelite is a part of his family. That that's how powerful God's promises are. That that's how big God is. Moses grows up. Here's kind of crazy. Moses grows up. He realizes, mm, I'm not an Egyptian. Uh, I'm actually a Jew. He, he walks outside. He sees an Egyptian hurting a Jew. And he decides he's going to kill the Egyptian. The Egyptian dies. He was like, what do I do now? Buries the Egyptian. Goes back inside. Next day, he comes out. He sees two Jews fighting. And he says, hey, guys, guys, my brothers, chill out. And one of them looks at him and says, are you going to kill me too? Like you killed that Egyptian? What he then realizes is that a lot more people know about him betraying the Egyptians and killing one of them than he thought. And so assuming because this meaningless, worthless Jew knows about it, that Pharaoh probably knows about it too. And so he packs his stuff up. He runs away. He runs into a woman who's being harassed by a man. He stops the harassment. She runs home and she's like, dad, this guy like helped me out. He's like, well, where the heck is he? Like bring him back. So he brings him back. He's like, hey, I like what you did there. You want to marry my wife? I might marry my daughter. That would be weird. Different story, different story. He's like, man, that would be weird. Anyways, he's like, I like what you did. You want to marry my daughter? And he's like, sure, she's fine, right? So they get married. They have a kid. And then that's what we're going to pick up real quick. I'm just going to read a couple verses for you. But they're really powerful verses. And, and if this story is truly also our story, then they should mean a lot. And this is a big deal. So 40 years go by. Moses in the desert, Israelites in slavery. That's where we pick up. Years passed and the king of Egypt died. So the guy who knew about Moses and Moses killing the Egyptian dead, so that kind of died with him. The hostility towards Moses died with him. So God is preparing something in Moses. We can kind of see that, and especially if you've read on. It says, but the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. It's such an interesting passage. It's such an interesting passage. Like, I, I wonder that if this is truly your story and you inserted your name in, instead of Israelites and it says you continue to groan under the burden of and you took slavery out, like what you would put there? Like what in your life would you say, man, here's really the burden of school, the burden of relationships, the burden of anxiety, the burden of depression, the burden of spiritual warfare, the burden of peer pressure, the burden of family issues. Man, I, I, 
just heard like today about someone um, who didn't really know about being baptized and wasn't sure if they wanted to be baptized. And the, the response from the, the father was, oh, well, are you really even saved then? And was doubting their own child's salvation. Like that's a big deal. That brings a lot of doubt into your heart if your parents are doing that. And so, you, so I know a lot of you have some burdens that you could put right there. Things really going on in your life and, and, and in your heart. Like I just wonder what that would be It says that because of their burden, which happened to be slavery, which happened to be this moment where they're seeing things crumble around them. If you're, if you were here this morning, which a lot of you were, but if you were here this morning, I encourage you 930 Sunday mornings, be there. You're here this morning. We talked about change and how change can sometimes cause us to lose perspective or cause us to the realization that we're not in control. That comes sometimes it causes us to not be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And that's where they were. They were in a place that was only going to lead to death. And so they did what only they could do that would lead to life. Like their only resort that could actually cause real change. It says they cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. This isn't just some mystical accident rise up. It's like a weird word. I would have written a different word like their cries. They just happened to rise up to God. God just happened to hear them. They're just crying. No, what that really means is like they were crying out to God intentionally and God was hearing them, receiving them. They were reaching God. Don't you hear that? Their cries about the burden that they were going through was reaching God. That they were in a mess and in a messy situation and their cries were reaching God. Go on, next, next uh, slide. And it says that God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It says he remembered his covenant promise. That when God makes promises, he's not one to forget. That he's not like you and like me. That sometimes we put what we remember and what we know about people and we place them on what we believe about God. People are flaky. People kind of suck. People are not that nice sometimes. And we put that on God. Say, man, God's probably going to be flaky. God's probably going to hold things against me. God's probably going to have a grudge. But God is not that way. You know, God is a solid rock that always remembers his promises. And so when we cry out to God, we can cry out with confidence knowing that he has promised us. If you turn your Bibles to Philippians 4.19 or John 3.36 or 1 John 1.9 or even James 1.5 where he says, hey, if, you don't, if you're unsure about things, if you don't know about things, cry out to God for wisdom and he'll give it to you. What it's saying is when you're in a confusing situation and you cry out to the Lord, that he begins to lighten your path. He begins to say, here is the way you should go. Here is how you can see the situation clearly. That's a promise. And we can trust those promises because God is a God who remembers his, his covenant. He remembers his promise. And what you need to know about these guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they weren't special. They were freaking goofballs. Like, they were screw-ups. 
And so some of you believe the lie that I'm too big of a screw up. I am not that great of a person. And what you need to understand is these were terrible people. And God said, no, I even remember my promise to them. I remember my promise to them. It goes on. It says that he looked down at the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. That he looked down and he knew. I want you to hear that. That he, he heard, he remembered, he looked, and he knew. That when we cry out to God, he hears us. He sees us, he remembers, and he knows That sometimes we feel like when we cry out to God, we're crying out uh, to God. And it's like, man, I just feel like I'm speaking to the walls. I've heard that so many times. I feel like I'm blank when I pray. I feel like blank when I pray. Like I heard that so many times. You just fill in that blank. And what you're doing in that moment is you're trusting your feelings over God's promises. And that never works. Your feelings are untrustworthy. God's promises are solid. Please hear that. When you believe your feelings over God's promises, you will fall every time. But it says when we cry out to God in faith, saying, God, I trust that you are in control. God, I trust you're my only resolution. God hears those cries. He sees what you're going through. He remembers his promise to give you wisdom, to give you life, to give you hope, to give you peace. And he answers them and he acts that your prayers are like darts to the heart of the Lord that evoke action from the creator. I'm gonna say that one more time. Your prayers are like darts to the heart of the Lord that evoke or cause action from the creator according to his plan. Some of you doubt the power of prayer. I need you to not. It is a powerful thing. What was happening here is the salvation experience. Literally to the definition, they were being saved that they were under a burden that was so heavy, it was leading to death. That it's the same burden we have before we come to know Jesus. It's the same burden some of you are carrying around, this massive amount of guilt, this massive amount of knowledge, knowing you're a sinner, this massive burden of not knowing how you're getting out. And the Bible says that Jesus came as a second exodus, that when we cry out to him, when we reach out to him in faith, that he will save us, that he rescues us from the burden, that he carries the weight of our guilt, that we are now seen as clean and as free free. But that's God's promise to you. That's amazing. How powerful is that? Man, I just think about my own screw-ups and thinking about, man, how God has saved me from that. How even when I've screwed up since I've been saved, like yesterday, he says, hey man, I still, I, I forgive you. You ask for forgiveness. You have my forgiveness. That you are still my child. I don't hold a grudge against you. You've been washed with the blood of Jesus. He carries the burden of your guilt. Their story is our story. And they were in a mess. And some of you are in a mess. And so what I need you to understand is that you're in a mess. And even in the silence of your mess, don't believe that that is the absence of God. Just because it's silent doesn't mean he's absent. He is very much present. That God is at work in your mess. I want you to take that away with you today. 
that God is at work in the mess. That in the mess of, of what life throws at you. What you need to know about the Israelites, though, they didn't behave their way into a situation. It was nothing, nothing they did at this point that caused them to be there. Some of you have behaved your way into some messy situations, and you're going to have to suffer some consequences for that, for your actions of behaving that way. They didn't behave their way into a situation. Some of you have had some situations thrown at you that were regardless of your actions. Because, man, in those moments, in those moments, and God has promises for you. Are you crying out to him? I'm gonna invite the band to come up. We're gonna, we're gonna close in a, in a moment of worship. And as I do, I'm just gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head, not to make it something uh, special or, or whatever, just so you can listen. I just want your focus for a minute. With every head bowed, every eye closed, and I, I just encourage you. Some of you are dealing with burdens in your life that are bigger than you can handle. They're bigger than what you can deal with. Some of you will deal with burdens that are bigger than what you can handle. Like the Israelites, they're bigger than than, uh, your strength and and your um, capability. That they will overtake you. And so you need to spend some time crying out to the Lord crying out to the Lord, trusting that that your cries to him, he hears and he knows. That I encourage you this week that you would write down those prayer requests so that you remember them and then you can check them off when you see God answer them. But that you would put a time, that you would mark your calendar, put a time this week where you would get alone with God. Maybe that's tonight, maybe that's tomorrow, maybe that's Wednesday, I don't know what it is, but you put a time where you could cry out to the Lord. It doesn't have to be loud, you don't actually have to cry. But you would call out to him. See, in the middle of the mess with school, relationships, anxiety, depression, uncertainty, peer pressure, there's a lot of things you can run to. There's a lot of places you can go, there's a lot of places you can bury your head in, whether that's your school or, or whatever that is. You are in the place of, of the Israelites in a mess. Their story is our story. And my challenge to you is that what you would run to would be Jesus. Would be the one who says and promises that he is the author of life that he is the one that provides wisdom and strength. That this week you would learn and you begin to practice crying out to God.